Good evening, or is it? I'm John Doe. And I'm Joan Risch. And tonight, the news. An outbreak of deadly dancing has afflicted a borough of a large East Coast city as men and women of all ages have been struck down by a mysterious affliction during an annual dance marathon. A band had been hired for the event, but canceled at the last minute, leaving a very little time to find replacements. Event organizers thought that the loss of their performers would cause the yearly tradition to be canceled. Just before they made that decision, however, a band from out of state calling itself The Pipers came forward and offered their services. A thousand couples had shown up for the marathon and were prepared to dance the night away. Four hours into the event, the husband of Mrs. Edna Wagner began showing signs of fatigue. His wife urged him to keep going, saying that they hadn't danced like this in ages. The pair was then seen dancing faster and faster until the couple inexplicably dropped dead. The Wagners were only the first of several such victims. They, along with some of their friends and relatives who attended the dance marathon, were taken to the coroner's office after they all appeared to have died in a similar fashion. The autopsies of the victims revealed that the cause of death to be acute heart attacks brought on by severe exhaustion. According to the coroner, those that had survived the initial cardiac arrest spent their final moments fending off the feet of the other dancers. Obviously, they either did not care or were not capable of paying them any mind as they lay on the ground, helpless and unable to call out. We attempted to reach out to the other participants for questioning, but we were unable to gain any answers. It seems that everyone who survived the event cannot be located at this time. Those closest to the missing have contacted the police, but there have been no leads so far. The police have tried to track down the Pipers, but to no avail, as they have seemingly vanished without any way to contact them. Truly an awful way to build a fan base, but it sounds like one killer party. Don't you think that might be... A little tasteless. Whatever do you mean, John? Well, the report was of people dying at a party. Isn't it tasteless to remark that there was a killer party? That's just snappy journalism, Jonathan. Well, try to keep it to a minimum. We report the news, not sensationalism. Whatever you say, John... A group of four friends will unfortunately not be returning home tonight after a deadly run-in with a train. How was that? John Key and Benjamin Lippett are the only two victims of a train crash that were still able to be identified by their remains. Dee Weaver and Lulu Townsend, who were seen earlier with Key and Lippett, are assumed to be the other remains that were reportedly too mangled to identify beyond the color of their skin. A fifth body was also identified as belonging to Mrs. Kate Lewis, but reports say that her body was found a few yards off from the crash site. According to eyewitness reports, the vehicle was behaving erratically, causing the group to veer onto the tracks. 
Some claim that the train appeared to gain speed while the passengers attempted to urge their vehicle to safety. A bystander is quoted as saying, They all started to panic when the whistle just kept blowing. I don't rightly know why they didn't just get out of the way. After the impact, the vehicle was dragged down the tracks along with its human passengers, until the train eventually came to a halt. The only one who managed to escape damage was Mrs. Kate Lewis, whose body had been resting in a coffin at the time of the crash. Once the coffin was hit, it shattered and sent Lewis's body flying through the air like a grotesque frisbee. Indeed. Relatives of the deceased say that Mrs. Lewis had died a few days earlier, and the four had offered to drive her to the funeral service as a last act of friendship. Family members of the recently deceased have said progress planning the funerals has been difficult, citing lack of sleep as, even though they live nowhere near the track, they are awoken in the night to a loud train whistle. John? Perhaps it is best if we move on. Now we go to see what's happening in the world of weather. Rainy days, take it away. Uh, uh, hello? Rainy, you sound very mannish today. Uh, well, yeah. As you could see, if you looked over this way, I am in fact not rainy. Uh, right before we went to air, she said she needed to use the restroom, and she never came back. But management sent you here to fill in. So tell us about the weather. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, so, uh, Rainy was going to tell us about a new town where they were turning to frogs to predict the weather. Sorry, Rainy. Did you say frogs? Again, I'm not, uh, never mind. Yes, frogs. Apparently, these little guys are put in a tank with some water and a ladder, and the weather is decided by whether the frogs are climbing the ladder or descending. I guess if they're descending, then rain is sure to be on the way. Maybe we need some frogs around here. I'm sorry, what? Maybe then we might get to see some rain. Uh... My flowers are just suffering during this drought. Excuse me, but... I've been contemplating another sacrifice to bring the rain, but these frogs might be a great alternative. Excuse me, ma'am. Oh, Rainy, I forgot you were here. I was daydreaming about the cute little weather frogs. I... I'm not... Ugh. I just want to clarify that most of us in the department have gone to school for this, like, eight years. Rainy is working on her doctorate in atmospheric sciences. I'm working on my bachelor's. The frogs haven't been in a school, I'd guess. Aside from the sheer coincidence, they have no other experience in tracking the weather or reporting it to the people. Well, who's to say that their cute little ribbits aren't an attempt to tell us what's coming? Are you claiming to know how amphibian academia works? No, ma'am. I'm just saying... I don't think anyone would appreciate being fired to hire frogs. Wait, you're getting paid? Aren't you an intern? Well, yes, but I'm given a stipend for- Anyways, please continue. Okay. The seven-day forecast shows that the temperature will be going down over the next few days to put us more in line with the fall season. 
Maybe going on a foliage walk will take your mind off your suffering flowers. That's all for me. Back to you. Thanks, Rainy. That's not my... There is a social movement sweeping through a large East Coast city that is causing concern among many new parents about the quality of their babies. That's right, John. Mrs. Anna Steeze Richardson, who has attained national fame through her conduction of Better Baby contests, has asserted that parents are no longer taught to properly train their babies. In response to what she has deemed a national crisis, she has begun the Baby Saver campaign, aimed at helping both lower and middle class parents craft their infants into the best possible entity that they can be. Girls in high schools were taught basic home economics, and on prom night, maybe a little something of biology. Not to be crass, but... The birds and the bees? Then nine months later, there comes a baby. Mrs. Richardson went on saying, Hopefully these girls were taught how to properly care for it so that it did not immediately perish. They struggle through the years of infancy with nary a thought as to how it could have been improved. The Baby Saver campaign plans to solve that. Mrs. Richardson, paired with an organization called Mother, have pledged to hold fundraisers and pass out information on how parents can mold and preserve their infants until they're exactly what they've always wanted. Parents want a baby that they can be proud of. They want flawless skin, big eyes, a cooing laugh, and rosy cheeks. Working with mother is the only way that these parents can achieve the goal of making their baby perfect and keeping them that way forever. No further information on mother has been given. However, Mrs. Richardson urges parents who think they can't afford these services not to worry because mother will provide. A series of break-ins has led to a hairy situation in this middle American town. Miss Lila Simmons had been reporting to police that her house had experienced a number of burglaries, but each time they had gone out to check her property, there had been no conclusive evidence. However, this week there appears to have been a break in the case. While Miss Simmons was out, one of her neighbors rang the police to let them know about seeing movement in the house despite nobody being home. Patrolman Frank McGuire was in the area and was the first on the scene. I received a call about movement at the Simmons residence while I was on a quick coffee break. Naturally, I finished my donut and told dispatch I was on the way over. McGuire reported that he entered the house just after 12 p.m. He states that he approached cautiously with his weapon drawn. In his official report, McGuire claims that when he entered the kitchen, he saw the intruder eating a sandwich. So there he was, cool as you like, just feet up, eating a sandwich. I yelled for him to freeze and put his hands up. I then instructed him to stand and face me, which he obliged. He was covered in fur, looked like an ape or a gorilla. But when he turned towards me... Officer McGuire claims that what happened next still haunts him. Something seemed a little off. 
The face looked really strange, like the flesh was hanging too loose, and the eyes were just black and empty. I mean, I've seen pictures of apes, and what I was looking at, that wasn't any ape I'd ever seen. Mr. McGuire let the suspect get away through a back door and is currently on suspension for the mix-up. The police department has explained that his statements are a result of stress and that there is no evidence to suggest anything other than a human has been responsible for these break-ins. They are asking the public to report any other similar incidents. Truly nightmarish. As we contemplate the emotional and mental turmoil left behind by this incident, we turn now to Brett Simmons with sports. <laughs> I was about to write this week off as another poor excuse for sports broadcasting. You know, the usual scores and match reporting, but then, oh man, the colleges really came through for me. Before we go too far, Brett, I will remind you to be professional. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, Johnny boy. Nothing but professionalism here. <laughs> as I was saying... Two collegiate teams went head-to-head in what was expected to be a run-of-the-mill game. When the home team won, the students erupted into an unprecedented victor's celebration. This quickly spilled out onto the streets. One student, in his excitement, took a gun and began shooting into the sky. That sounds pretty dangerous. (laughs) Maybe if you're a bird... Anyways, apparently this was quote-unquote frowned upon, and the police began trying to round up the students. Then, the riot broke out. Punches were thrown, sticks and fists were used to beat officers and students alike. A ton of heads were smashed, causing police officers to retreat back to their stations like losers. Brett. Hang on, hang on, this is the best part. One student was so badly injured that a doctor was called to the scene. In the end, the kid only needed like 12 stitches, but hey, he gets points for making people think he was gonna bleed out. No word yet on if charges are gonna be brought against the team members, the university, or if the blame will be placed solely on the hero who shot that firearm. This is the way winning should be celebrated. Not with a clap on the back and a handshake but with a literal bang. Aren't you proud of me, John? Not even one single swear. Thanks, Brett. Thank you to everyone who decided to spend their final moments this evening with us. Though we don't know how the game of life will end, we can only hope that perhaps we too will go out with a bang. Whatever that means. For now, good night and stay safe. We'd hate to lose a viewer.